Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cast Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me is Richard. Hello. And Matt. Hello there. Well, welcome. This week, we're looking at the transformation of a pair of sports and performance car legends. We'll talk about some of this week's entries into the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with a guy who loves computer hacking nearly as much as he loves himself in this week's <laughs> Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first of all, we've got some feedback, which is always welcome, and thank you very much for those who have taken the time. We spoke last week about utes morphing into SUVs, SUVs into utes, um, the way that's all becoming a bit of a grey area. And Peter Painting said, makes sense to have a dual cab ute based on a sedan rather than a truck. Better in VH, and at least they'd have four-wheel disc brakes. And it's odd, for people who don't understand what a drum brake is, they need to look at the back of a dual cab ute because they mm -hmm. still exist there. So that's an interesting point. But Richard de Kulk came straight in with a comment. Um, oh, he's, now that he's in okay. Australia, when he sees Malou's and SS, uh, SSV utes on every corner, his heart doesn't stop bleeding. <laughs> Agrees a Holden ute Falcon base with a bit of a lift and extra row of seats would have been perfect. And then there it was last week we referred to it, the crewman. Yeah, the he'd crewman was ahead of its time. Yes. He'd never yes. seen one, he said, yes. but so ahead of its time. That's exactly what he said. So wow. it's kind of it is kind of what we were talking about. Um, he also says... Post-corona yep. motoring, I'm living proof. The hell with lack of job stability, there may be no tomorrow. So I went out on Easter Monday to satisfy my essential mm -hmm. need and get an all-wheel drive CX-5. The oh. dealers are currently uh, carrying on their business and insurance gave me 15% off for three months for using the car less. Uh, long live the cars, says De Cook, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great, a great battle I love cry. De Cook, okay. Um, but David Burt said, in response to Can that, we catch up with each other at 1.5 metres away? I suppose so. Look, I'll I thought you went to you. his house. Yeah. yeah, it did. You were stalking it at one point, although you were in the wrong <laughs> suburb. <laughs> but, um, David, I, went, I went to Doll's Point. Yeah. You did, yes. <laughs> um, in response to that, David Burt said, looks like 2020 is the year of disasters and resets. I look at my VF2 ute every day with mixed feelings. I love the car and respect those Australians who designed and built it, yet I despise General Motors, just another multinational performing brand genocide. Wow. Wow. That's some pent-up kind of frustration there. Well, but he if also... he needs to get rid of that ute, um, I'm sure there's plenty of people who want Plenty of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's onto a winner there. Um, but he followed up with another comment, and he said that he likes Crafty's assessment of likely vehicle demand post-COVID-19. And Crafty was saying there's going to be this pent-up demand for people wanting to get out there and have a bit of fun and lifestyle, adventure-style vehicles might be on the agenda, that people aren't going to holiday internationally so much. He was suggesting they'll rediscover the fact that they should be taking a break in their own state and very much their own country. So um, David said, you know, what do you think? Is it a Prado? Is it a twin-cab ute? What about the Passat Alltrack or Subaru Outback? And says, when will the Passat Alltrack be returning? And I've got to say, frankly, I was only a bit cloudy on that it had gone away. M4, do you have any mail on that, on when it may be coming back? No, I haven't heard anything, to be honest. All right. Uh, but there is a uh, Skoda Superb Scout launching soon, I believe. So that'll, that's essentially the Skoda version of the Outback-style 
high riding wagon. Um, okay. And it's it's coming soon. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's an option. Well, Paul Victor, which to me sounds like the radio alphabet, should be Paul Victor or you know Victor. Actually, it's Papa, isn't it? Victor, Victor, Papa. Yeah, yeah. Papa. Anyway, Papa, well, um, he might be a Papa. Papa might be Papa Victor. Papa Victor. Um, Victor thinks thinks making Utes into SUVs is dumb. Right? That's huh. his his words, not mine. Utes into um, He says just buy an SUV and use a trailer. You know, you've got your seven seats, and if you need to cart something around, just attach a trailer to the back. He reckons this is his, um, you know, gut feel. Tradies and farmers are already complaining that utes can't carry as much as they used to and that first gear is too high for hard work. And I've got to say, dual cab utes, the tub in the back, it is pretty modest. It's not exactly yeah. uh, a huge load yeah. space. No, but the only not. problem, The only problem with towing a trailer, guys, is towing a trailer. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> it's a pain. Yes. Oh, God, yes. yes. I have, I still have um, some nightmares about when my father and I were going across a bridge in Sydney, and a little box trailer on the back of the car detached. So, oh, oh okay. So no safety chain. I'm, I'm too small to understand what's going on. <laughs> except all I can see is my dad looking in the rearview mirror and beads of perspiration, like immediately <laughs> cross his forehead. Anyway, happily there was nothing on the other side of the road. We retrieved the trailer. It was just a nightmare. Um, yeah, oh my bad. goodness. Uh, anyway, so okay. we've had uh, a new commenter, K-Rolled NZ, who says, awesome, but what about ute versus van? So, um, and I think that's a really interesting idea because you've got the practicalities of a, like a one or two box van versus a ute of some description. What are you thinking, yep. Paul? Oh, I agree 100%. I've, I've wanted to do a ute versus van test for a while because they – People don't really understand just how much more practical a van is in probably 90% of situations. It's only when maybe you go to a muddy work site where a lot of the sort of mid-sized vans don't have a all-wheel drive availability um, or four-wheel drive availability. So there's a lot of people out there, I think, who are those aspirational uh, buyer types who think, I need a four-wheel drive because I'm going to go off-road. I'm going to go camp. You're not. Um, so <laughs> yes. get a, yes, get, that's a right. get a two-wheel drive van and they have <clears throat> traction control systems that can modulate the torque at the front wheels to try and get you out of sticky situations. But also there's these dual cab vans like the crew vans that you get in uh, from Hyundai, from yep. uh, Toyota, from Ford. The Ford Transit Custom Sport is one of them that's really impressive. Uh, mm. You know, they've got sliding doors on either side so you can get in and out of the back seat, but there's also a bulkhead so you can stop things from flying forward and that sort of stuff. Mm. And, and they've got, you know, because they've got height to the the size of the space you can fit so much stuff in there i i did a load uh in a transit custom sport when i moved house recently and it was amazing so mm. i love the idea let's do it very yeah, good yeah no that would work as well i mean you guys would remember the time that uh i had that tree delivered to work um yes. and it was a bit bigger i bought it online and i didn't well it's hard to tell in a picture how big a tree is but it arrived yeah. at work and it was too about two and a half metres tall, three metres tall. I thought I was going to say it was a massive cedar that you'd brought in from North America. <laughs> it was it was big. It was bigger than it was in the picture. Um, <laughs> anyway, we had three cars and, and we had a Toyota Corolla, a Ford Mustang, and we had a Hilux Ute. And um, the only car that it would fit into was the Corolla because we followed the back seats down and we were able to lie it across the front seat all the way through to the boot. But it wouldn't fit in the Hilux. That's because the tray's smaller and you can't have it upright. So... 
Yeah, that's right. Can, that's right. In terms of space and practicality, utes aren't always as practical as they may seem. That's mm. right. It mm. is surprising how small the actual load bay in typical dual cab utes um, yeah. are. Mm. All right. Now, mm. Wax Triple Three, our New Zealand correspondent, has said that oh. he's he's thinking that Honda should bring the Ridge Line to Australia and New Zealand, and oh. that way they may be able to keep their dealerships open. Now, I saw your eyes roll, uh, Matt. Oh. That's because you know the number of times we've thought that. Are you yeah. bringing the Ridgeline here? Honda should have the Ridgeline here. Not yeah. the first person to have come up with that thought. No, no. We've we've been asking Honda Australia for probably a decade to bring yeah. the Ridgeline to Australia. <laughs> um, the Ridgeline, yeah. the Pilot, the Passport, they've got so many good models that would sell so well for them here that yeah. they just don't have because they're all built for that American market, the North American market. So they're, they're the yeah. wrong-hand drive. Uh, and they yes. won't make a business case <laughs> to make them the right-hand drive. So okay. <laughs> That's a provocative way of positioning the steering wheel in the car, I must say. <laughs> There's, what's, Matt, you're probably more in tune with this than me. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the word on Tundra? Are we getting that in Australia at some point soon? I've heard that the next-generation Tundra will be built on the same platform as the next-generation Tacoma and Hilux. So it's going to be mm. a modular scale mm. sort of platform. Mm. So you'll have um, Hilux and Tacoma will be the, the mid-size ute and then uh, the Tundra will be the big one. Yeah. And if they're making it as a global platform, it would make a lot of sense for it to be in right-hand drive. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would I would think the chances are good, but it's years away. So yeah. Well, yeah. just ca carrying the theme on a little bit further, Saab, another first-time com uh, commenter, Says, I'm wondering when the car makers will bring to the Australian market new reincarnations of previous models, such as, wait for it, the Daihatsu Terios, Rocky, and Feroza. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, the now, Rocky. Notwithstanding yes. the fact that Daihatsu isn't, you know, currently represented in this market, yeah. um, it is a bit of a long bow to draw to bring yeah. that little trio back. Yeah, I'm, I would, I would welcome it though. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They, I had to re revealed uh, at Tokyo last year a new, I can't remember which model it was, but it's based on the same sort of thing as a small Toyota, the Toyota Rays. Um, okay. So the, it's basically uh, Terios. Um, yep. And, okay. you know, if there was a time to launch a brand oh. that just did three small SUVs, now's, now's the, the time. time. Yeah, good. Like, uh, but I think the problem would be that maybe they don't have the same um, sort of mentality around safety equipment and that sort of stuff. And I don't know that Australians would accept a brand that didn't have safety as one of its key pillars. So gotcha. um, as yeah, much as we'd yeah, like to see call. them, because they, they'd be, they'd be money-focused brands. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'd love it. But, it would be uh, fun. It would yeah. be fun. I agree. Now, we, one of the cars in the garage last week was the Genesis G70. Um, and we had some pictures up there to, to show people. David Burt came back in for another comment and said he thinks it looks like a lovely car, very English-looking interior, perhaps the modern Rover 75 minus the walnut. Um, that said, <laughs> no, nobody seems to be buying medium-sized sedans, so we'll likely sell in small numbers. But Peter Painting came in for another comment. The Genesis, the video screen just looks like an afterthought, same as Mazda. And that's something I'd called out in, in the interior design of the car. Mm. And Hammer Rocks, Hammer Rocks Hammer! responded to that saying, and Audi and Mercedes-Benz and BMW, mm. they've all done it at some point in their model lineups. So mm. just that, here's one, the BMW i3 
has a little screen. You know, it's been in market for some time, just sitting out there like it's floating in the centre yeah. of the dash. Mm. I love that. But mm. the ones that are just plonked there and, and do look like an afterthought rather than a considered kind of design element um, are a little bit annoying. You'd think there'd be a it's... way of, of sort of morphing them into the dash a little more subtly. I, I thought uh, in the case of those screens that sort of pop up like billboards on the dashboard, I don't, I don't like them I, uh, as well. But I thought, to me, I thought it was a safety thing where the idea was to keep your eyes at more road level ah, rather than looking yeah. okay. down. That's a good call. Um, yeah. Yep. That's what they tell us at the launches anyway. Um, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. The cynic in me says that for a car manufacturer to update a model, it's probably easier to have a screen that's external to the actual yeah. um, the, the dashboard. If it's integrated in the dashboard, it's harder to change. So they can't make it larger as time moves on. So sure. they say it's a safety thing. Perhaps it is, but it could also be a lot easier to update when a new model. Yeah. New well, exactly. When, when, it's, when it's that little sort of tablet thing that sits up yeah. on top of the dashboard, it's going to be heaps easier to yeah. go from an 8.8 yeah. .8 to a 12-inch or whatever. That's like right. That. Well, That's also, yeah. I was just going to say about the Genesis screen, the thing that gets me about it is it's exactly the same as an i30 screen. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, I, I suppose that's the, the, the rare cross shop, isn't it? I-30 to Genesis G70. <laughs> oh, someone's got to be doing it. <laughs> but I suppose, I mean, Richard, the cynic in you, all I'm seeing, by the way, is the cynic, um, <laughs> is <laughs> um, it's follow the money. You know, it's, it's oh, yeah. what's, what's yeah. going to cost you more and what can you, you know, get away with, which sounds a bit cheeky, but what in that context, what's still going to look good um, and be affordable, as it were? Absolutely. Yeah. And I talk, on that point as well, I mean, because we're in and out of, you know, thousands of different cars a year, we spot the Hyundai switch gear yeah. in, a, in a Genesis in the same way that we spot the, you know, the Chrysler, the Jeep switch gear in a Maserati. It's the yeah. same window switches, you know, yeah, the yeah, same yeah. screen, the same dials. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. a consumer probably would never get the chance to no. rush up a Maserati to a Jeep Jang Grand Cherokee. No, no. Yeah. Uh, what was that, a Jeep Jangler? <laughs> a Jeep Jangler. It's a new that's model. That's an interesting come, model. New model that's come out. Actually, no, a, a Wrangler <laughs> becomes a Jangler after a couple of years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. Now, we, we also talked about various drivetrains and we had some suggestions around generator electric. And Thunder 250, who's a first time mm -hmm. commenter, Whoa. said he, he reminds us about the Fisker, an American uh, car yeah. company, who used a similar system in the Karma. And that brought to mind uh, a certain small Canadian pop star, um, Justin Bieber, who had uh -huh. a chrome-wrapped Fisker Karma and was in, invariably, either this was by design or just sheer stupidity, caught for speeding, driving without a licence, parking violations. He and that chrome Fisker Karma were inseparable there for a while. But um, I think it went through some financial problems and has re-emerged under new ownership or something like that. I'm not, not really up on the details. But Brahmadag said, what's wrong with an electric four-wheel drive SUV with a beefy diesel generator? They can offer loads of super high torque and he'd have an independent motor at each wheel. That's how uh, he'd, mm. he'd set it up. Fuel moving parts, potential to design flexible control software for the independent motors more range and reliability than charge-only electric, hugs from environmentalists, <laughs> too costly, inefficient, they'll still find lots of customers. All I can see there is dollar signs. Mm. That would be an extremely expensive vehicle. Yeah, 
and you're still digging stuff up, stuff up out of the earth to make both sets of components. So you, you are. know, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, the hugs, mm. the hugs. Well, they'll have to wait for a while for the hugs from environmentalists, yeah. but they they may be gentle <laughs> rather than heartfelt. You know, distant high fives. Distant high fives. <laughs> Can I just say how quickly did we stop? Also, the bumping elbows and the and the and oh. the and the kicking yeah. feet. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was. Yeah, no. I think people yeah. just realised that touching is necessary. <laughs> <In general. laughs> <laughs> you just don't need it. <laughs> no, it's okay um, if it's not your hand. It's okay if it's not your hand. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> no, but you know, just shake. Okay. Just shake. Okay. Yeah. We're yeah. moving on to, to general comments. <laughs> and David Burke came in yet again. This is his third crack in the comments section. He, we touched on the Chrysler Centura, and he reminded us that the Centura was a hasty redesign of the Chrysler 180. And for people on YouTube, we'll have a picture of the 180 up with us. And the sizing was more VB Commodore. I said that it was kind of a Tirana competitor. Um, so more uh, VB Commodore than Tirana and Cortina. It was a, a smaller car, but it had a six-cylinder engine option, um, as mm. I recall. So it was Australia's AMC Pacer. You know, we need to downside cars, but let's still have a big engine in it, which yeah. was a bit odd. I can't um, get past. I can't get past the fact that uh, David Bird has commented three times, but oh, not all in the one comment. No, did, he's, he, he's just, did he write his comment? Get up, make a cup of coffee, and go. Oh, another thing as well. No, I no, no, I think he's it, I think he has. He's got multiple screens going, and and the comment <laughs> section on our YouTube is just always there. So if if something occurs to him, he'll just drop a comment. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, thanks, that's David. good. Keep doing yeah. that, David. Yeah, it's <laughs> very good. Now, um, Druss Triple Nine says, "Hey James, I for one don't think cup holder technology in cars has kept track with modern needs. Sure, <laughs> some now fit multi-sized cups, but hey, how can I partake of my latte while cornering at high speed I with two wheels up? Why with gyroscopic cup holders? That's how. And why can't they be self-warming as well? Indeed, cars should have built-in coffee maker option. Is a robot barista too much to ask for no. in top-tier BMW and Merc? Now." I've got to say, in top-tier yes. BMW and Merc, you can get heated um, cup holders. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about the coffee maker. But Ford, I did a bit of digging here, and Ford um, set a patent up in 2017 for a gyroscopic kind of gimbal cup holder. It hasn't right. found its way, and there'll be some images of that patent on the screen for people on YouTube. And it, you put your cup in, and it stays upright while the car does the forward, back, side, all that. Brilliant idea. They haven't put it in a car so far, but yeah. um, apparently that's often the case. They'll make a patent so no one else can do it now, um, and I kind might of keep be, it up their sleeve. I might be wrong, but I'm fairly sure that Fiat had a uh, coffee maker accessory for mm. a car at some point. Dukulk uh, is way ahead of you. Dukulk is way ahead of you. Oh, he right. says, forget BMW Merck. The humble Fiat has already been offering this technology in their compact people movers, and they did fit the cup holders. Smart yeah. face. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but I, I know a colleague of ours, John Carey, a motoring journalist who lives in Italy, has a coffee grinder in his car and a coffee maker <laughs> because he can't make it for very long without an espresso. So he makes yes. sure that he has that caffeine uh, supply with him with at all John? times. On, on international drives where, you know, they've got a set route. You'll, you'll, you'll have four hours or something to get from point A to point B. It might be 250Ks. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of deviations off the route because he knows a coffee shop somewhere <laughs> in yeah. France that you've never been before. Or in he, gets the coffee, he gets the coffee, rolls up a dart, smokes that yeah. while he does a latte, and then <laughs> you're happy for about the next 15 minutes. Yeah. And he starts to get a bit nervy. 
One of the things that Volkswagen has is they do have an espresso cup shaped holder um, in between yeah. the two. So yeah, that's a thought. There's actually three in the in the in the rear fold down armrest of a Passat and a Golf GTI and right. things like that. Um, yeah, there's there's three cup holders and one of them is a little tiny one for espresso. So they're thinking Excellent. about that. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Now yeah, the but... final comment was Thunder two fifty coming in again. He was a double commenter. And he yes. says, he, he actually enlightened us. He says, hi, guys, I'm currently studying journalism at uh, Griffith University in Queensland. Mm. He's aspiring to become a motoring journalist like Richard Berry or Matt Campbell. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, no, mention, no mention of other journalists. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, I've been obsessed with cars all my life and spend 90% outside uni watching Top Gear, the Grand Tour, and watching reading car reviews. Just wondering if you have any advice. Be much appreciated. Thank you. Now, Crafty jumped straight in <laughs> and gave, gave a response and said, look, you're off to a great start by the sounds of it. Watching and reading Matt's and Richard's work is a very clever move. Yeah, of course it is. That's great. <laughs> you might broaden, you broad, well. might yeah. broaden your horizons a bit, but anyway. Uh, he says, study hard, do your research and write a lot. Know your subject thoroughly and be willing to go the extra mile in terms of hard work and perseverance. Be early to every meeting and appointment. Call your mum, wear sunscreen and keep watching Cars Guide bits. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching and commenting, mate. Good luck, which is the perfect response. That's exactly wow. what he should do. Yep, I can't definitely. elaborate on that. That's probably That's the best perfect. advice anybody yeah. can give. Yeah. Call your mum, wear well, sunscreen. You. I agree. <laughs> okay. Now, we're going we're gonna to move on to our main subject of discussion today, which is really around the fact that the 370Z, the Nissan 370Z, is in in broad terms a much-loved car, but it's ancient. It's one of the Mm. oldest models on the Australian new car market anyway. Mm. And there's a lot of chat about its replacement, primarily the catalyst being Nissan trademarking a new Z logo um, and a new version of its corporate kind of logo and chat about a 400Z uh, to replace it, which to me, I've got to say, sounds exciting. And also the GTR in the same stable has been around with updates along the way forever as well. Mm-hmm. So these two kind of halo models are looking like during 2020 or 2021, they'll come up for a, a, a renewal. <clears throat> Good. Yeah, look, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had the, um, the opportunity to speak to um, the, the head of Nissan Oceania a couple of years ago and um, yeah, he, he made a comment that um, that Nissan's lineup just wasn't where it needed to be. Um, and. It was around about the time that Toyota had the 86 out for a few years and BRZ, so the corresponding twin car, um, and Supra was on the books and Nissan looked like they were really seriously lagging. Um, and rather than try to sort of, um, like so many PRs do, is try and talk their way out of it, he just agreed and just said, look, yeah, um, yeah, it, the, the current lineup of Nissan is just not where it should be. But he said it's going to take probably... 10 years, seven to 10 years, right. a complete generation of cars to turn that around. That was about five years ago. Um, okay. And I think we could be seeing in the next couple of years, we could be seeing a new Z car and, and you know, a GTR arrive. Because, too. you know, when you mentioned the 86 and BRZ, um, Nissan used to have the 180SX, 200SX, you know, as a rough yeah. equivalent. Um, yeah. the, the, the Z car was always a, a super competitor. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Toyota has taken leaps ahead in that area. Nissan is well behind uh, in that sense. Yeah, yep, they are definitely. I think um, 
exactly what you've said, JC. That 370Z is so old. Yeah. Um, still, like, for what it is, though, um, the fact that they've lowered the prices so much over the years, um, it's still a very engaging car to drive. Um, and still, you know, it's got plenty of grunt. And uh, mm. there's a lot of people out there who have, who have still got them, modified them, done them up to a certain extent. And, you know, I'm sure they're happy with their cars, but it is time. Um, and I remember speaking to a uh, senior product guy at Nissan a few years, probably five years ago as well, Richard. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he'd spoken to me about, I was saying, well, what about GTR? You know, like mm -hmm. it's, it was already old five years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, and now it is ancient. ancient although yeah. it is, it is still ridiculously good. Oh but, yeah. But the yeah. thing is that now it's it's gone up hundreds of thousands of dollars almost. Mm -hmm. uh, you're looking at $300,000 for the Nismo one or something like that. So exactly. Yeah. It's crazy money <clears throat> for what it is. Uh, it is an old car, um, and it needs to be smaller, in my opinion. It is too yeah. big, that car. Like, well, the, the, I think the thinking around the GTR was always intentionally that it should be heavy, that it would be mm. planted on the ground, that it would be a big beast that sort of hunkered down into corners and blasted out of them in a very beefy, macho kind of way. It was not a yeah. nimble, light-footed kind of sports car at all. It was meant to be a brute, and, and the, it certainly is that. Doesn't the world of electrification or just full electric hand itself so nicely to that notion? Yes, uh, I suppose so, yeah. You could, you could have that skateboard architecture with a wheel at each edge and just that planted low center of gravity huge amounts of torque uh yeah. geez it, it's something to look forward to well that's that's one kind of theory that's past that's one path that the gtr could go down because um our word is that the gtr's 3.8 liter twin turbo v6 a version thereof will find its way into the 400z you know mm. so that that, that mm. engine starts to live in the 400z yeah. then you look at a much more exotic kind of powertrain for a car like the GTR. So a hybrid electrification of it in some way would be just amazing. Mm. Mm. I remember the, uh, uh, we were at Motor Magazine uh, back about 2011 or 12, JC, and I were, we're at a racetrack. And I don't I remember seeing you there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just started there. and um, Oh, okay. And you wound down the window. I said, oh, what's it like? And you just looked at me out of the window of the Nissan GTR and you just said one word. You went, brutal. Right. <laughs> and I drove it yeah. I drove it after you and it, it is such a such a brutal car but it's also yeah. one of the, was one of the first cars that I could get in and in the traffic see a space and just think about it and then be there yeah. before I'd even just made up my mind it was sure. it was just like that it's really it's um, really fast yeah it's very fast but look at look at three a, a new Z car a new GTR would be great but there's a there's a gap there still leaves mm. a, a gap below that um, because what's yeah. what's a what's a 370z cost at the moment? Like you're you're pushing yeah. what 70 something. But, but a few of them a few of them still go out the door each month. You know there, yeah. there are yeah. people that actually are still buying that car. Yeah. What I mean is there needs to be a like a, a proper Toyota 86 competitor, something light, yeah. something that costs thirty thousand um, dollars. You know, thirty to forty thousand dollars. Well, remember with they had two liter engine. Yeah. They if had we can, that if, IDX concept, that the the retro yeah, concept yeah, that was yeah, just yeah. so mm, so good, eye catching, beautiful piece of design, and yeah. it just uh, you know I hate to say it, but another Nissan thing that just didn't eventuate. You well, know? look, if so, we can if we can bring the Daihatsu Terios back, we can totally yes. bring the <laughs> Nissan 180SX back. Right? Yeah, I've got to, I've got it's got to happen. I've got to ask. 
I mean, has Nissan's progress been stunted by what Carlos Ghosn did? Could be. Because is, is this is the be. reason why we don't have a new generation GTR now, a, a 400Z now, uh, you know, an 86 competitor now? Was he tanking, you know, Nissan's lineup for his own benefit or the benefit of another car company that it was joined with? You know, that's a great that's, thought, that's Richard. What I'm I think about. that, that I, I know where you're going and mm. that, sorry, where you're going. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that, that absolutely fits the picture, mm. that they're so think, far behind the eight ball on product. I think in America, they've had a much more focused lineup uh, and a much more refreshed lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. they've got the Sentra over there in their small sedan. Uh, they've got the the Maxima or whatever it's called over there. Um, so they've got a sedan focus in America. Australia just doesn't want that. So no. Australia has no. been left behind. I mean, we're getting a new X-Trail very soon. There'll be a new Qashqai very soon. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can't wait for those because the signs look good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it's but, just but, a matter of... As- as we all know, there's nothing like a couple of new sports cars to put some pizzazz into your brand. You know, that, that yeah. if, you're fi- if it's sort of moribund and just kind of there or thereabouts, bang, come in with a new Z car, come in with a new GTR, and all of a yeah. sudden there's some interest around the Nissan brand. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. right. Toyota doesn't need a Supra. It'll probably sell more Corollas by having one alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, look, I think all we can say is to our listeners and viewers to to stay with us and we will keep you posted on developments on both those cars. But it's, it's exciting, um, mm, the prospect sure of a new, uh, three, a new Z and new GTR. Now, we'll move to our garage and cars that actually do exist and ones that we've been driving. And, Richard, I'll kick it mm. off with you. You've been in a performance car, very much a performance car, but it's a fairly small one. Yeah, it's a um, it's an A class, but it's not just any A class. It's the new Mercedes AMG A45S Formatic Plus, um, and it's a weapon. Um, but it's nowhere near as uh, loud and brutal um, as as the the first generation of that car. When that first generation came out, car I came out, I remember driving it and being terrified. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and and excited and and sweating all at the same time. Um, right. You know, seven or so years have passed and um, the new generation ones come out. It doesn't look as Larry, although you can make it look Larry by um, fitting the aero pack to it or buying the edition one, which adds decals and stuff like that. But it's all about the engine. It's the it's the most powerful four-cylinder engine ever to go into a mass-produced car. It's a, it's a two-litre turbo four and it makes 310 kilowatts and 500 newton metres. Um, absolutely unbelievable. Zero to 103.9 seconds. I can just sit in the back of it. My knees are pushing up against the back seat. It's big enough to fit the car's guide luggage, the big case in the back. Um, And to drive it is just, well, there are some cars that make you feel like a better driver than you really are. And I don't want to admit I think that's just about every car I drive. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, you know what? The, The A45S really does. Fill in the gaps, <laughs> you know. Um, it's it's so good. It's got a drift mode where it can send all. It's an all-wheel drive. So Formatic means all-wheel drive, but Formatic Plus, the plus on the end of Formatic, um, indicates that it's 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 a bit more high level than a regular all-wheel drive system from Mercedes-Benz. It can send all the drive to just one wheel if necessary, 
And the only reason why you might need that is if you're drifting on a racetrack, of course. So there's a drift mode for the A45S. There's a launch control, which is unbelievable. It's perfect launches every single time. I only had three days with it, but the review's up now. It's just launched in Australia. Um, one of my, it'll probably be one of my favourite cars of 2020. I, I love that car. Brilliant. Very good. Very mm. good. Thank you. Mm. That sounds amazing. Now, <laughs> uh, speaking of amazing, M4, going to you, yep. um, we were just talking about the, the void in Nissan's lineup, but it's completely full in Toyota's uh, side of the ledger. Yeah, so I was driving uh, the Supra, which is the well, the GTS version of the Supra, so the top spec, um, which I'm I, I hadn't really thought about it until now, but disappointingly only has uh, 250 kilowatts um, <laughs> compared yeah. to your compared to your family hatchback, uh, Richard, with 310. That's ridiculous. That's, that, that is mad. That is mad. <laughs> It's uh, got 250 kilowatts, 500 newton meters, and the whole premise of my review is earlier on uh, this month, we heard that there's an update coming for Supra, uh, which is going to see a power bump. So already they're looking at adding more power, so up to 285 kilowatts, which is what the uh, BMW Z4 M40i has as a standard already. Um, and so my whole uh, pitch for the review was do you wait uh, for the new generation or the facelifted updated whatever you want to call it um, with a little bit more power and plus it also has some chassis tweaks uh, probably something else as well uh, to go inside the cabin or on the outside that might differentiate it um, and yeah I wanted to find out whether you should buy one now or wait until but, this but update Matt, that the that absolutely fits because talking to Tardisan, the the engineer in charge of the whole super program, he was drawing uh, a comparison with 911. He wanted the car to be launched, and then you have iterations of it as time went by that improved yep. the mm. suspension, more power, blah blah blah. So this first update is absolutely on track. Yeah, yeah, and the, there's going to be another one as well. Apparently, the GR. Yeah. MN, the Masters yeah, of Nürburgring. All that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Can the, I, the power, yeah. Can I ask you guys, because I'm currently in the base spec Supra, I'm looking at it out, out the window right now. Do the Mercedes bits and pieces, sorry, do the BMW bits and pieces annoy you like they annoy yeah. me? Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Nah, not you I, at all. No. I I um I was pretty harsh on it, actually. Like, yeah. um, I, don't, I just don't think that, um, well, the, there's an argument, right, that yeah. uh, you're, you're getting BMW quality for Toyota price. It's the, the GTS is still a hundred grand. Come yeah. on, like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, if I wasn't getting good quality, I'd be really annoyed. Um, but I I, uh, I don't like some of the ways that the BMW stuff has been implanted. I guess yes. it's just it. Well, it's just so BMW that yes, um, yes. I don't get a feel for any sort of Toyota-ness apart no. from the, the dash top, which is, as I said it's, in my review, it's similar to what you get in a Hilux, the top of the dashboard. Like, yeah, it's yeah, not it's, fancy. I, so, I, mate, yeah. It's all psychological because I felt quite at home in a Toyota driving yeah. that Supra. It's like, yep, this is a Toyota. Really? I'm just, I'm... I'm just so easily fooled. <laughs> I, I, I walk towards it. I'll, like I'll, in, in about 10 minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll take it out for a bit. Um, I'll walk towards it, and in my head, it'll be Toyota, Toyota, Toyota. And then I'll sit in it, close the door, and I'll, for, there's a second where I'm like, what, what happened to the Toyota? Because there's right. yeah, a BMW okay. shifter, 
BMW instrument cluster, BMW media screen, BMW center console. It's just yeah. all. And then you realised it was actually a Z4 that you got into. It was. <laughs> it was the yeah. neighbour's car. We've been we've been standing like this. We better move on. I'll I'll just finally chip in with the car I've been driving this week, which is a Jaguar F Pace. So that's mm. the Jaguar SUV uh, of a, a slightly larger variety. This is the R Sport 25T. So it's a four-cylinder petrol turbo. It's about eighty thousand dollars Australian. Um, now it's nowhere near the power outputs of the cars you've been in. It's about one hundred and eighty-five kilowatts, um, but it's got three hundred and sixty-five newton meters, and it'll start off at twelve hundred RPM. So it's got that oh, nice yeah. turbo. Torque very low in the RPM range. It's all-wheel drive, eight-speed auto, and I just couldn't help thinking it's up against a tough market. You know, you've mm. got um, SUVs with a slight performance bent from Audi and BMW um, and Lexus, for that matter. Uh, Merck, of course. Um, so it's in a it's in a hot part of the market. If you're spending around eighty thousand dollars, I found it a very easy car to drive. Um, it's got all the things you'd expect: the leather. Um, it's a five-seater only. Um, it sits on big 19s with Goodyear Eagle F1 rubber on it. You know, wow. it's, it's it's shod with uh, all this um, go fast gear, but the steering I, I found there wasn't as much feel as you'd like if you're trying to get involved with the car. Um, the rotary controller in the dash actually shows its age because mm. more recent JLR product has moved away to a more conventional gear lever, so it is getting on a bit. Things like you know Xenon headlights, you go, oh really? You know, in a, in a car in this mm. market. But it does have CarPlay and a few other things. I don't know. It would be a difficult one to recommend against some of its uh, hard-edged German competition particularly. But it was, it was a very nice experience, um, no doubt about it. Nice. All right. I'll say I, I did like the SVR when I drive it. The, oh, uh, that thing you know, is mental. That you know, is. That, that's, that's the that's really brutal version fun. of the FPS. Yeah. 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 Loved it. Now, speaking of brutal, uh, it's time for Muskwatch. <laughs> now, we kick it off with um, a story courtesy of Teslarati, and Elon Musk invites students to hack SpaceX and Tesla ahead of his hack club, AMA. Now, nerds will know that AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. And so he'll just be there to answer questions, and he'll join this hack club t tonight, our time. I, so, thought you said uh, hat, I thought you said hat club. Yeah, they're doing then. hats as well. They're doing hats <laughs> as at the Do same we'll time as they hack. Yeah. So I did some digging. The Hack Club is a group dedicated to helping high school students learn coding through tinkering and building projects. So right. Elon, the dear leader, will be in his element. So he said on Twitter, in advance of this, please try to hack Starlink and Tesla Mothership. So he has a bit of a track record here. Wow. In February, he announced that there was going to be an AI party hackathon at his house, but coronavirus put, a, put an end to that, um, sadly. But a month earlier in January, and I wasn't aware of this, he'd launched the Pwn to Own contest um, that would award a Model 3 and 500 grand to anyone who could break their way into a vehicle system. So oh. a pair of hackers eventually exploited mm. a loose end and wound up leaving with a Model 3. So wow. I, I cool. hadn't heard that that had happened. So he tends to put his uh, money where his mouth is. But uh, Julie P. Paradox responded by saying, please answer concerns. Starlink will pollute the night sky. Thank you. 
hashtag stop Starlink, <laughs> which, is a, <laughs> yeah, look, which, is, which is a perfect segue to our next bit. Sorry, Richard, go ahead. I, look, I, I am a little bit concerned by the, the array of thousands of satellites which are in orbit. Um, exactly. As a, as, a, as a bit of an amateur astronomer myself, um, but oh, really? also asking oh, people to try and hack into a network of thousands of satellites over the Earth. I, I don't oh, know. yeah. That's, if they um, succeed. Yeah. That's, lit- that's literally the definition of asking for it, isn't it? Like, <laughs> well, one, oh, of the, one, of the yeah. me- one of the memes I saw was the Death Star blowing up Alderaan. You know, it's just like you've got your, you've got your, your array ready to go. But so that leads neatly to our next bit, which is TechCrunch has reported that it's launch day for yet another batch of Starlink satellites, which will bring the total launched by SpaceX to 422. There are 422 little wow. satellites up there. So we're inching closer to selling space broadband, you know, that, that it will be up there. So Musk has provided some more detail about some of the latest measures that the company has taken to stop them wrecking observable astronomy mm. and basically stuffing up the night sky. So the main one is that they're going to put these black foam covers, like solar panels, from launch nine. We've just had launch six. So there's going to be another couple of launches with pretty bright satellites going up there. Um, so it's like a foam cover. Um, it stops, they're called sunshades, um, and it will be extremely radio transparent, but it will uh, minimise the light reflection on these right. things. So the, bear in mind, the aim is to have 12,000 of them by 2027. So wow. some, some are saying that, look, they're just in their initial orbit. Once they're parked in their eventual orbit, they won't be as visible, blah, blah, blah. I've got to say 12,000 little satellites. That's yeah. a lot. Especially, um, I mean, we've all, we've all seen um, Interstellar and, you know, a small fragment flying through space can tear through, you know, a space yeah. station or a space Well, I mean, you know, you've, been, you've been up in space, Richard. You I've know exactly space- what that's like. Like, well, look at my, yeah, look, I don't like to blow my, you know, horn or something. But it was a Russian was episode. On, it, was, it was your Russian It was. Phase. I mean, I was well, up it, in the Soyuz uh, capsule. Um, he's, he's very tall. He's in the atmosphere all the very, time. All the time, anyway. Very tall. Uh, that's now, what I found when I was up there anyway. On Twitter, Elon, Elon had said there are now 420 operational Starlink satellites, which mm-hmm. is apparently, unbeknownst to me, it must be an American thing. That's a coy reference to marijuana uh, consumption, 420. It's like oh, 420 yes. in the afternoon or let's do a 420 or whatever. Uh, but it also could be a reference to his taking the company private at four, $420 or whatever. Yeah, right. But uh, Remy Bergsma says, oh, my God, my eyes, no more astronomy for us, I guess. Uh, and <laughs> Grouchy New, New Yorker says, yeah, thousands more to come. So mm. some people aren't uh, necessarily thrilled about that. Jesse, but can't he, yeah. can't he just make them fly so they only fly in daytime? <laughs> oh, no. Anything's hey. possible. In, oh. the, in the world of Musk, anything is possible. <laughs> and in looking at these things, I found just a great random meme that he posted up under the name Best Political Platform Ever. And it must have been from the re- uh, recent British um, elections because it said... Rick Astley for Prime Minister. He will never give you up, let you down, run around, desert you, make you cry, say goodbye, tell a lie or hurt you. Or hurt you. <laughs> and then in response to that, Sky's Triple One had one of those telegraph pole posters, you know, with the tear-off bits at the bottom. Yeah. And it was 
hello, is it me you're looking for? It's a picture of Lionel Richie. <laughs> and the tear-off bits are, I can see it in your eyes, I can see it in your smile. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fantastic. Anyway, which leads to the share price for Tesla. Ooh. So last week it was $745, $745. This week's at $705. So it's dropped 40 odd, 40 odd bucks. And CCN reports, um, who wants an electric car when oil prices are dirt cheap? So a Wall Street analyst, Gordon Johnson, who works for, uh, wait for it, GLJ Research, it could be George Gordon something <laughs> Johnson, uh, Research. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's one person at a fax machine, you know, sitting yeah, in an yeah, office somewhere. Yeah, a thinks these, He thinks these, um, right? these challenges yeah. will send the company's share stock price to $70. That's his prediction. No, he no. blames Tesla's recent rally on, his words, not mine, ignorant Chinese retail investors instead of attracti- uh, uh, focusing attractive. on um, the surface rather than attractive fundamentals. So, wow, there you go. Mm-hmm. But wow. uh, we'll see where that goes. But with that, I think we have reached the finish line. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. And thank you, Matt. Thanks, guys. And thanks to our Chancellor of Sound Design and Global Solutions Director, Mr. Pritchard, for his otherworldly technical skills. Today, he's in a T-shirt saying, my wife says I only have two faults. I don't listen and something else. (laughs) A space space suit, which is not what you think it is. It's actually a business suit with galaxy images all over it and and pug slippers. I actually feel, (laughs) feel queasy. We were, you know... Uh, yeah. interacting with him before the show, it makes me feel quite unwell. But please pass on <laughs> yeah. the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an iTunes listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But before we go, the font Comic Sans fills up at the servo and goes into pay. The panel operator immediately shouts, Oi, get out. We don't want your type in here. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've always been a Helvetica fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. mm. Typeface tyrant, Richard Berry. <laughs> That's right.